Good morning. Well, welcome again to Florence Christian Church. My name is Aaron. I'm pastor of Student Ministries here. And we are continuing in the uh, book of John. Our study brings us to chapter 13. And I, I got to be honest with you guys, last week, uh, Mike and I, when we got here, we were a little disheartened. It was raining and uh, we had been looking forward to the picnic. And so I was bummed that we had to to make a different decision and possibly do something different, and yet bringing everybody in to do the potluck uh, picnic here, uh, and then also get to share in uh, baptisms. We have one baptism here, and then after uh, we got done eating, we went out to Wohink Lake and had an additional baptism uh, of Jim Martin, who also shared with us in the morning last week, and it was ended up being a wonderful, a great experience and Sunday with you all. Um, but what a powerful message. Last Sunday morning, as Jim and Charlene uh, talked with us, we were in the first part of chapter 13 where Jesus is, is getting down. He's washing his disciples' feet. And, and as he does so, Peter says, no, no, master, you will not wash my feet. And Jesus says in response, no, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but, but one day you will understand. If you want to be a part of this thing that I'm doing, then let me serve you. And we heard Jim and Charlene's story of, of God's faithfulness in their life. And we heard about their granddaughter who at birth had some issues and how God was faithful through that situation. Uh, we heard about Jim's story of getting diagnosed with cancer and uh, him following through with chemotherapy and going into remission and God's faithfulness in that part of the story. And it was a year ago that week that uh, we had sat down, Jim, Charlene, and I, to talk about him getting baptized. He had been sprinkled as a child, and as he read through Scripture and he understood what it was saying, he said, I, I have been convicted over the years that, that God wants me to be obedient in following through with being baptized in water. And so he was just sharing what what scriptures had convicted him towards. And so he had told us that he originally wanted to get baptized in the Jordan River. And what an amazing experience that would be. But as years went on, he said, I began to realize that probably wasn't going to happen. But even though it wasn't going to happen the way I wanted it to, I still needed to be faithful to what I felt like God was showing me as I read through scripture. And so he wanted to get baptized. That was a year ago. So we were making plans for that, for him to get baptized uh, about two weeks later at our picnic. And uh, in between the time that we met and the day of the picnic, they found out that Charlene also had cancer. And so ensued an additional year's story of chemotherapy and of treatments and of questions without a lot of answers. And, uh, and, and she shared that God is still faithful. God was faithful as, as he... Um, helped heal their granddaughter. God was faithful as he helped heal Jim, but God was still faithful even though she sat with us last Sunday with cancer, that God's faithfulness isn't dependent on our healing, on, on our coming through the way that we would think, but that God is faithful regardless. And she said that I still want to, to praise his name. I want to praise his name when cancer gets taken away, and I want to praise his name when cancer remains. What an amazing testimony. Nothing I could have said out of John chapter 13, if I would have exegeted it perfectly, could come to compare to the joy that was in her face as she said uh, that I want to use these last days. And I don't know how many they are. She said, I don't have an expiration date on the bottom of my foot. So God's going to continue to use me right to the very end. And who knows? 
Could be this week. It could be in a decade. We don't know, but she saw God as faithful, and she wanted to stay faithful to him. And then, in the afternoon, we got to share with Jim's baptism as he was faithful to what he saw in Scripture. And what a week to get to spend together. And what a week as, it, as the rain came down and I woke up a little uh, disheartened that God would bring all these pieces together for us to celebrate together. And we continued then in John chapter 13, this week in verse 12. It says this, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So Jesus stating This, what I have done for you, you should do for one another. This is the example that he was laying down, saying that we should be about serving one another. He says that I am the master, and the servant is not greater than the master. And yet, Jesus would teach these things, and he would flip these things on their head, the things that we understand. Yeah, we understand the master. Yeah, of course the servant isn't greater than the master. And yet the master was taking the place of a servant. He would get down on his hands and his knees, and he would take the dirty feet of the disciples and wash them. And he's saying this, that even in serving, I'm serving as an example for you. Even in the least of things, he was greater. He was showing us this not to be about himself because everything he did was about glorifying the Father. And so he shares this example to his believers. Now, feet washing kind of escapes us a little bit in 2017 in the USA. You know, we don't understand the cultural significance, the actual practical need, uh, and maybe we have a, 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 a working understanding, a knowledge of it, that they would walk around in sandals often on dirt streets, and even if they washed themselves, that after miles and miles of walking, their feet would be dirty. And as they came into a place that it was a, a thing of honor uh, to, to wash their feet, to cleanse them before a meal. But we don't really understand this because we don't do this regularly. I mean, most of us often bathe weekly, hopefully. We have socks, we have shoes, we put on a fresh pair of socks, hopefully. You know, we, we just don't have an understanding of this. This isn't a part of our day-to-day uh, goings-on, and yet we kind of have seen this in different places. Uh, you've possibly heard me talk about Bridgetown Ministries, which is a ministry up in Portland uh, that every Thursday night they go under the Burnside Bridge and for a thing called Night Strike, where they go and serve the homeless population in that region. 
And they serve meals and they hand out clothing and they do a bunch of other things. But one of the stations is foot washing station. And, and I'm actually going to bring my son up, Ben, who uh, was a part of this fairly recently, and uh, he's uh, a little bit more fresh in his mind. So he's taken off for college in a few days, like he doesn't even care about me. <laughs> but Ben's going to tell you of his experience at Night Strike. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? Awesome. Um, I was, like my dad just said, I was able to recently go to Bridgetown Ministries at Night Strike and wash feet. Um, through their ministries, they have opportunities for volunteers to do all sorts of jobs, and I've been able to do a couple different things, including um, what they call walkabouts, where you take um, baggies of supplies and sandwiches and socks, and you go around downtown Portland in groups through Bridgetown Ministries and provide them with the necessities for living, such as socks and food and stuff like that. It was really, really amazing um, to hear all of these people's stories about how they got to where they are. Um, a lot of them asked for us to pray for them. We didn't even have to ask them to pray, which was incredible. It was so cool. Um, I also got the opportunity to play cribbage um, with some homeless people for an entire evening, which was hilarious. It was so much fun. It was incredible experience to be able to level with these people and just talk to them. Um, because a lot of times, people don't take the time out of their day to stop and have an actual conversation with the homeless population of Portland. And so having that opportunity to go and just play a, just a basic game with them, it was so much fun. It was incredible. Um, on this particular occasion, we went to Night Strike with a couple of my friends, and we got there, and like, I felt a little bit on my heart, just like, there's a feet washing station, Ben. I think that you're going to be washing feet. But I was like, mm, no, <laughs> that's okay. Um, and we got closer, and they started naming off jobs, and I was like, nope, that's not it either. That's not what I'm going to do. Then they said feet washing, and I was like, it's time. And so I went, and we grabbed our buckets, and we went to the bottom of the Burnside Bridge, and we set up our station. They also had haircutting stations and food and clothing giveaways and blankets and everything like that, but we were going to be feet washing that evening. I didn't really understand fully what was going to happen until the first homeless person walked up to me, started to remove their shoes, and place their feet into my bucket. <laughs> and once I was looking into these feet on my knees in front of a homeless person, some stranger that I never met before, I realized that this was really gross. <laughs> but there was something about it as the night progressed that just became more and more natural. It wasn't something that um, was burdensome to me, which is really, really weird because I'm on my knees touching some stranger's dirty, dirty feet. It's really, really gross when I think about it. Um, but there was something very natural about it. The homeless people, they didn't view this as like, they weren't prideful when they put their feet into the bucket. They were very humble when they came to the volunteers at Night Strike. It was a very, very cool experience where, again, I was able to just talk and level with these people. I was able to talk to them um, while fulfilling a need. While uh, my dad was talking about how it's not necessarily a need all of us have, it is a huge need for the homeless population in Portland. Washing feet is very critical because... As you may or may not know, it rains a whole lot here in Oregon, <laughs> especially in Portland. Um, over the weeks and weeks, if somebody, if one of the homeless people's feet get wet, they don't really have opportunity for their feet to dry off. 
Sometimes they would have to take off multiple pairs of socks in a vain effort just to keep their feet dry. And so sometimes these people were taking off their shoes and their socks for the first time that week. But they were always wet. They were always dirty and they always needed cleaning. So we were able, we were given the opportunity to fulfill a very, very critical need in the lives of these homeless people um, and be able to speak to these people, which was absolutely incredible. But yeah, I encourage you, if you ever get the opportunity to head over to the Burnside Bridge on a Thursday evening and wash feet. Thanks. Are you kidding? Put that down there. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Uh, they often, as they're explaining the jobs, they say, I want you to think about the job that you least want to do and volunteer to do that job, that task. And so something like this, it really does meet a practical need to, to cleanse feet, to kill bacteria, to allow them to have a fresh, dry, clean pair of socks in order to move on to their next phase. And, and let me tell you, there's no prideful way to approach a stranger and watch their feet, wash their feet. It's just, it's, well, it's maybe somebody can do it, but I can't. And I think about this experience that he gets to meet a practical need that really we have a hard time understanding. And yet Jesus' words became very real uh, to this group. Actually, I, I have a picture of a couple of them. And uh, after they served uh, the homeless population, they served each other. This is Jack Bacall, who just took off for college this week, and Michael Davis and, and Ben. Um, and, and to watch people, uh, watch students choose jobs like this to serve others, that they're not really going to gain any prestige or, or, or any uh, amount of confidence from this. It's all about serving the needs of others. If you'd like more uh, information about Burnside or if you'd like me to take you with a group up, I'd love to take you for an experience like this to go and serve the population there. And so Jesus speaking here, teaching this thing that he knew maybe wouldn't have cultural significance as much now as it did then, and yet the spiritual significance is the same. Uh, But we can still kind of skim over what Jesus is going through here. Not only had he just broken down and washed feet, but he just washed the feet of the man who was about to betray him. He actually says in this section... um, He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And he's quoting uh, from Psalm chapter 41, which is actually David speaking. And David talking uh, about a close friend of his whose name was Ahithophel. And Ahithophel was a prophet and he was a close friend of David. And he was there for, for David to ask questions of. And it said when this man spoke, it was as though God himself were speaking. And so he would go to him for counsel. And yet this man would turn on David. When his son Absalom was coming after his throne, this prophet friend of David flipped sides and started working for him and started uh, uh, scheming against him. And so he writes this in Psalm chapter 41. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. So David understood what it was to have somebody so close, so entrusted, that would turn on him. And he said, he ate in my home. He ate the bread that I gave him. And Jesus says this. He says, I say it now before it happens 
so that when it happens, you will glorify the Father, that you will know that I am who I have said that I am. Let's pick it up in verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is, he, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread. And when I have dipped it, so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And so Jesus is acknowledging in this moment this real hard thing that is about to take place. And he's saying, I'm calling it out. I'm just saying some of you, one of you specifically, will betray me. And they talked amongst themselves. They didn't know what was going on. It says the one that Jesus loved, which is talking about John himself who wrote it, uh, leans in. He's close to Jesus. And he's like, who is it? Who is it? Tell me. Tell me who it is. And Jesus says, the one whom I share this morsel with. Now in that culture for, for a host of a party to hand somebody a morsel of bread was actually an extension of friendship. And so in this moment, Jesus is extending grace yet again to Judas. He had just watched, washed his feet and he hands him this bread in a token of friendship that everybody would have understood. And yet in that same moment, it kind of sealed that Judas would turn and betray Jesus in his friendship. Verse 27, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, being Judas. And Jesus said to him, what, are you, what you are going to do, do quickly. No, now, no one at the table knew what he said, um, why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag that Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. Now often if Matthew or Mark would have said something like, and it was night, it probably would have meant that it was night. But John, over and over again through the scriptures, talks about light and darkness. He talks about walking in the light as I am here. The sun will be in the sky for only so long, but darkness is coming. And right here, Satan enters Judas. Judas walks out and he says, and it was night. No wonder he was troubled. No wonder he's looking at this moment. He said the same thing in the last chapter. Chapter 12 says that Jesus was troubled because he knew his moment had come. And now it's becoming more and more real as Judas is walking out the door as they're having this exchange of him handing him a morsel of bread and Judas knowing Judas was going to betray him. And it was dark and Jesus is troubled and he doesn't know the, the other disciples don't totally understand this. But maybe this small moment between Judas and, and Jesus, John and Peter, who leaned in and asked, who is it? And Jesus explained to them, but the rest, they still didn't understand it, but they soon would. Verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, 
Yet in a little while I am with you and you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus' new commandment here is actually building on an old one. We've heard it since Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and, and love others as yourself. That was a good commandment. That was something that people could understand. Because guess what? We love ourselves. We do. We clothe ourselves. We feed ourselves. You know why? Because we like us. Be honest. You like you. We like ourselves. And so Jesus, building on this, says, no, that, that's how it was. But I'm here to fulfill the law. Not to change the law, but to fulfill it. I give you a new command that you are to love the way I have loved you. The way I have served you. The way I will give my life for you. That is the standard of which you are to gauge your love that you have for one another. Now, these one another verses are used all over Scripture. I found this great infographic I want to share with you about the, the one another's. And these were things in the New Testament that Jesus was often talking about for Christians to do with other Christians. Go ahead to the next slide. It's used a hundred times. And 47 of those are specific instances that Jesus is talking about the way that we interact with each other. Paul wrote many of them. Go ahead to the next slide. The very first time uh, that, well, actually it, it is used, it is used as the word humility, in humility. And the first time is actually right here in John chapter 13, when he says that we are to wash one another's feet. Another third of the time when it is used, it's used in this context of unity. Next slide. As we are asked to draw closer to one another, to accept one another, to be at peace with one another, to be gentle and patient with one another, to bring the church together as one. And a third of the time that it's used, it's used in this context of love. Now, John used this more times than anybody else through his writings right here in John uh, chapter 13, which is the first time it's used in Scripture, but also in First and Second John spread out also through Romans and Thessalonians. Like I said, Paul talked about it a lot as well, that we should love one another, that we should serve one another, Ephesians, that we would tolerate one another in love, that we would be devoted to one another in Romans chapter 20, that even we would greet one another with a kiss of love. This term one another is also used in different variety of places to bear one another's burdens, to encourage and build one another up, to pray for one another. And so these one another terms, and this is a, this is a great resource. If, if you uh, think about these things and these kinds of concepts, you can go here to the Bible Project and check out some of their information. But, but just illustrating uh, themes throughout Scripture where Jesus is starting here, we should love one another. Now, this really is a simply radical concept. It's simple because loving is just about caring for others. Loving is, uh, is just about putting others' needs before our own. It's simple. Serving other people. 
giving to people even when they don't deserve it. And yet it's radical because it's giving to people when they don't deserve it. Because it's putting other, the same reasons, because it's putting others' needs before your own, because it's about caring for one another. And I want you to see the pieces that have come together in this section of scripture. First off, Jesus washes his disciples' feet as an example of servanthood, including the one who is about to betray him. Then he calls it out. You know, he's not just a pacifist. He's not just going to let things happen as they were. He addresses it and he says, somebody's going to betray me. He, he talks about it. He, he recognizes the moment and he says, even in face of knowing that this thing is going to happen, I have still chosen to hand you this morsel. I have still chosen to serve you, Judas, and wash your feet. And, and then he's using this as an example because thirdly, he says to his disciples, I need you guys to love one another. Darkness is coming. And I need you to love one another. They're about to betray me. And I need you guys, church, to love each other. Whew. I did this first service. We're going to do different this service, maybe. It says they're going to come and call me a fraud. They're going to call me crazy. They're going to call me a liar. But I need you, church, you guys, to love each other. There was 13 of us. One just left to betray me, and I'm about to get killed. But the rest of you, the 11 of you, I need you to love each other. They're going to, by the way, come after your families, and they're going to defame your name. They're going to hunt you down, and they're going to imprison you. They're going to kill you. I need you to love each other. These things that Jesus taught, he knew the reality of the moment. His close friend just betrayed him. And he says, I need you to love. <clears throat> Jeff Gowing, who's youth pastor over at Crossroad, put a quote up from C.S. Lewis this week. And I texted him and said, hey, I'm stealing your quote. <laughs> it's really good. Um, and it says this. It says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. I'd have somebody come read this first service. <clears throat> I gotta collect myself here. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to nobody, not even an animal. What you must do is wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your own selfishness. But in that change, it will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, casket-safe, dark, motionless, airless. It will. To love is to be vulnerable. The only way to get away from the vulnerability to love is to wrap it up and not show it to anybody. And Jesus in this moment says, it's about to come down. It's about to get dark. They're about to say stuff that isn't true. They're about to come after you. But you guys got to love each other. This has been a hard week worldwide from Charlottesville to Barcelona. We have hate being portrayed all around us. The media uh, giving it more time than it should. But hate will never overcome hate. 
And Jesus knew this. And so he's saying to his disciples, they're going to hate you. They're going to hate on you if they did me. They're going to for you. Don't hate them back. Don't create a rally. Don't pick up arms. He, he has to yell at Peter about this, who picks up a sword to defend him. No, don't fight hate with hate, he says. You have to fight hate with love. And, and God calls us to love God and to love people. But if we can't even love each other, how can we do that? And, and Jesus knows these guys are going to screw it up. They're going to run. They're going to hide. And Jesus says, when you come back together, when you finally get your crap together, love each other. Focus on loving one another. And church, that's what we have to do. In this world of hate, where people may say false things about you, where people may come at you with accusations, where, where there's just darkness around and people are focused on the wrong things and on, on, on racial things and, and on socioeconomic things. When there is hate spread in the world, you have to be about love. But you start by loving each other. And that's what's so great about the body. Not just at Florence Christian Church, but globally. That we have something connecting us. That we have deeper roots than, than something that we could just muster on our own. And so I, at the same time, I want to share with us maybe a couple of ideas about how we can better love one another. I told the first service that they need to start staying longer. Because they don't know you. And guess what? You need to come earlier. Come to church 20 minutes early from now until Christmas. To meet other people that call Florence Christian Church their home. We're not the only Christians, but we do gather here and we are family. We get to learn each other's names. We get to know more each, about each other. Come 20 minutes early from now to Christmas. Have a donut in the back. If you come earlier, there are probably some left. <laughs> Get to know each other. Our meet and greet time is there very intentionally for us to learn each other's names. And I'm terrible with names, so tell me your name over and over again. But, but get up. Walk around the room. You know, maybe the reason that you don't know a lot of the people is because you sit in the same seat every week. Move around. Walk around for a few extra minutes. Get to know people. Come early. Learn who people are. Hear their stories. Ben said sometimes the homeless population doesn't have somebody just to sit and listen to them. And they do these teams that are just there to go and sit with people or they're having meals or to play games with people. Because it could be the only conversation that they have during the week. But guess what? We don't do that for each other. Right here on 2nd and Ivy. Get to know people's stories. Ask questions about them. Look for ways to serve each other so that we can be encouraged and then go out into the world and show love there as well. This is your church. This is your home. This is one of your mission fields. So use it. Take advantage of it. Let us learn to love each other better. Jesus knew this was coming. He said, stuff is coming in your life. You know, the 11 or, or, or 12 with Jesus are, are in a room now. Darkness is coming. Take time to love each other. Guess what? When you walk out these doors later on this afternoon or late this morning, darkness is going to be there waiting for you. Hatred is going to be there waiting for you. Get practiced up on loving here so that you can do a radical job of loving out there. Disease is going to be waiting for you. 
Get practice at encouraging each other and hearing other people's stories so that, that you can hear their stories of faithfulness like Jim and Charlene, one who's come through cancer, one who's right in the middle of it and yet keeps their focus on God. We need those kinds of stories from each other so to survive our own darkness that comes. Jesus said this in John 13, and again, over and over. John chapter 15, love each other. John 17, love each other. Romans 13, love each other. 1 Thessalonians 3, chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 4, 1 John, uh, I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 4 and 11, love one another, love one another, love one another. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're supposed to be about. If you want to make a difference in the world, that's our focus. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you would love us. Lord, we don't deserve it. God, we bring nothing. Uh, When we meet at the table, we bring nothing to the table. And yet you, you are there to love us, God. You are there even when we've turned our back on you, God. When we've betrayed you to hand us, hand us a morsel of bread, God. Because you still love us. You still serve us. See, help us to see places that we can serve others. Allow us to be better at loving one another. God, that we can make a difference in this world of darkness and hate. God, that we can leave here to love others the way that you have loved us. God, I thank you that we, uh, we don't deserve it. We could never deserve it, and you give it anyway. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. This time of communion is all about that love. It's all about not only Jesus saying, will I 